0: So when I think of content strategy, I actually like to have a playground mindset, not a linear funnel mindset. We want to be so smart as marketers. They can go up, down, sideways. They can enter an exit and say, please, they can take a, take a load off and sit on the park bench and be like, you know what? I don't really need to engage with your marketing content right this minute. I'm good. That's fine. That would have worked much better. It would have made the conversation a lot smoother because I would have been ready to buy when I was ready to buy and actually had budget.
1: Welcome to Top of Mind, a show where we speak with top marketers, creators, and leaders who are shaping the culture around us. I'm Stuart Hillhouse, and I believe that through great marketing, you can earn the privilege of occupying a tiny sliver of your customer's already overflowing brain. Join me today as we learn what it takes to become Top of Mind. There are a thousand and one ways to share your message with the world, but with more content and channels than ever before, choosing the right strategy for your content could be the difference between moving the needle or just hearing crickets. But what is a content strategy? And more importantly, what questions do you need to be asking to make sure that your content strategy aligns with the direction of the business and isn't just going in some crazy direction to help us understand what makes a strong content strategy. I'm joined by a content marketer who believes in creating a content playground, not just a content funnel. She's a writer, speaker, and the content strategy lead for software teams at Atlassian. I'm pleased to welcome Ashley Foss to Top of Mind. Ashley, welcome to the show.
0: Hey Stuart, how's it going?
1: I was reading through your bio and in the second half of your bio, it says that you're a singer and an actor. What's what's one of your favorite roles that you've ever played?
0: Oh man, that's a that's a hard question. I think I'll go with a favorite show. I rarely do shows twice. I tend to be more of a like one and done on shows, but I did the show sister act twice. And it was so much fun. The music is super uplifting, like the camaraderie among the cast is super uplifting. Obviously it's a great story and all of that kind of stuff. So, And then I'm not the best dancer. You'll notice I didn't say dancer in there in the (laughs) little bio. So the ability to kind of like hide what my feet are doing under a full nun's habit helped me. But yeah, highly recommend Sister Act the Musical.
1: (laughs) Not quite a triple threat, a two and a half threat.
0: Exactly. But yeah, let's go with two and a half
1: threat <laughs> when someone hears the word content strategy uh, their mind might race right away to like SEO blogging or trying to grow a social media account or email marketing or something like that but what does what does content strategy mean to you
0: yeah so I'll actually back up and say that all of those things what they tend to encompass is a funnel mindset where they say we've got awareness we've got consideration we've got uh, purchase or decision kind of those layers And so somehow I need to like whip out my editorial calendar and say, I'm going to do two pieces of content per phase. That's six pieces of content, publish once per month. I now have six months of content strategy. And like, no, you don't. That's not a strategy. That's just sort of doing this one-to-one connection. And so even if you do look across multiple channels where you're saying, okay, I'm just going to create very focused this you know editorial calendar for social or this drip campaign for email it's still this very linear mindset And so when I think of content strategy I actually like to have a playground mindset, not a linear funnel mindset And so if you think about a playground what's the best piece of playground equipment like is it the slides is it the swings is it the merry-go-round I even get people who are kind of start like they think they're being sarcastic and they say oh the park bench and I'm like okay but truthfully the people yeah. who are sitting on the park bench, are they using the playgrounds the wrong way? No, no, they're not. You know. And what's the right way to play on the playground? Is there a specific order that you're supposed to go in? And so, if we think about that mindset as the journey that we want our audience to go on, is this playground mindset that we want to be so smart as marketers? They can go up, down, sideways. They can enter an exit and exit as they please. They can take a, take a load off and sit on the park bench and be like, you know what? I don't really need to engage with your marketing content right this minute. I'm good that's fine. And the other, the other piece of this that I think about often, if you watch kids play on the playground, they come up with some weird ways to do that. Like my nephew always wants to go up the slide or you see kids swinging on their stomachs. right? So if we think about that for businesses, if they want to use content the wrong way, we keep trying to force them through this funnel so that we can get them to MQL and then get them to SQL. And like that's the right way to do it. But if you have somebody who's, they don't even have budget yet. This happened to me. My boss came to me and said, hey, we're going to use this tool. How much budget should I ask for? I don't know. So I go and I start Googling around and everybody keeps telling me, oh, you need to download this white paper. Oh, you need to go watch this webinar. And they kept trying to put me through this progressive funnel. And I'm like, listen, I don't even have budget. I'm not trying to buy. I know I'm having a bottom of funnel conversation with you. I need you to put me back at the top of the funnel. And so if we had had that playground mindset to recognize that the journey that I'm on is not an MQL, SQL journey, that would have worked much better for me. And it would have made the conversation a lot smoother because I would have been ready to buy when I was ready to buy and actually had budget.
1: So if I'm, if I'm going to say it back to you, there's no right or wrong way to buy from you. And you have to... as. As content marketers, we have to understand that people come from all different contexts. Like you said, you might just need a quick answer, or you might be the kind of person who does hours and hours of research, or you might just be like, whatever, I'll just buy the first thing that comes up on on Google. Yeah. How do? How would we? So tell. Can you maybe take me through the steps of how you actually plan to build your playground, and and how you actually know if you're building the the, the correct um, equipment for your audience?
0: Yeah. So there's a couple things, I think, from an audience perspective, you actually have to love your audience. So there was a post I saw, it's been a couple years ago now, and I I think the, the site is at the Dictionary of Obs- Obscure Sorrows. That's what it is. And it's basically this person who has made up words to talk about these really complex feelings that everybody feels, but you don't have a word for. And he talked about this word called sonder which is the marketer's emotion. And it's basically this concept that you're sitting in a window and you're looking out at all the people passing by. And suddenly you realize that those people have lives that are just as complex as your own. They have hopes and fears and dreams and schedules and all of these things that are just as complex as your own. And then in addition to that, they look up at the window and see you and you are just a character in their story. You're just a passerby. Because... They're their own complex human, and you're nobody to them. And so, when you realize that, if you apply that to your audience and you start to think about this person is just as ambitious or scared or struggling or happy as I am, how then might I interact with them? And so, we talk all the time about customer personas or user needs or pain points, but like, do you love your audience? Do you want For them the same things that you want for yourself. Because if you do, you're gonna treat the persona document or the user pain points or the list of challenges very differently than if you just think of them as like, well, as a marketer, I'm supposed to know my audience, right? Do you love your audience? So I would say that's the first thing. I want to delight them. I want them to have that aha moment. When I see people get excited because they have, you know, when I see them have the same excitement I have about what I do, about what they do, I get really excited. I'm like, how do I? make them like, how do I be part of that? How do I help them have that? So that's the first thing is this, this delight and this love for the audience. Once you have that, yes, you can translate that into your perfect planning documents or whatever. The next thing that I like to think about instead of mapping content to the funnel, I like to map it to content depths. And so we think about conceptual, strategic, and tactical. And so you might think like, That's still three phases. That's still just a linear journey, right? And it's like, no, I'll talk kind of about each step. And then I can give an example that proves like, ah, you're right. You can go up, down, and sideways. So conceptually, that's really helping the audience frame up the problem space. It's the what and the why of the idea. At the strategic level, you're helping them frame up the solution space, not just your solution, but possible solutions. Then you're teaching them kind of the key knowledge components and enabling them to do their own research. And then at the tactical level, that's your nitty-gritty step-by-step stuff. So in my bio, I talk about being a fitness fiend. So the example I tend to use to, to demonstrate this is to say, what does it mean to be healthy and fit? And most people agree it's some combination of diet and nutrition. But you're going to answer that question very differently if you're runner's world versus muscle and fitness versus yoga journal. And so when you think about it that way, to say, oh, tactical level, 10 tips to build bigger biceps. Why do I need to build bigger biceps? Or why do I need to do these muscle like why do I have to work the muscle different ways? You can pop up to the strategic level and see, oh, here's how the muscles work together. This is why they get bigger or why they get smaller, right? Or if you happen upon, oh, I see someone at the beach, like, man, they look really fit. Like, why do they look like that? And you start Googling around and you realize, oh, they follow a bodybuilder style workout. They eat a high protein diet. Huh? How do I get more protein into my diet? And you jump all the way down to the tactical level and you get your five chicken dinner recipes for, you know, food this week, right? And so when you start to see it that way, you realize that the depths don't translate into just another linear journey.
1: That's so smart. And and the way you describe that too is you can go from not understanding the problem, like you kind of mentioned at the at the early stage of any buying journey, the person might not even know they have a problem, but they see someone who has something that they desire whether it be a, a a good body or maybe they work at a company that has a faster software solution or whatever that however they come up with realizing that they want something different yeah and you help them define what the problem is and that there are solutions out there to fix it but then you can very quickly jump into here's a chicken meal that you can prepare tonight but then you can also go back high level again and say but why did we eat chicken instead of just vegetables And so it's, it's, I see now the, the playground metaphor works really well because you can bounce up and down really quickly without ever losing the reason why they're on your website in the first place.
0: Yeah. Well, and the other thing too, is this helps you to have this omni-channel strategy, right? Like it's not just where they meet you on your specific owned property. This could be on social media. This could be at a conference. This could be in a one-to-one conversation. They hear this podcast and now they're like, Oh, who is this Ashley girl? What does Atlassian do? How does Atlassian tie to the playground methodology? And it's like, well, if you go and you start searching around, you'll see that we talk about things at a conceptual level, how to work better as a team, how to collaborate better. You don't have to buy our products to be able to use the methodology of working together better as a team. And in fact, we actually give templates for here's how to do it with sticky notes. Here's how to do it with like Miro or Mural. And here's how to do it with a Trello board or with confluence. So sure you can do it with our products. And we would love for you to do that. We're happy to tell you and show you how to do that. But you can use the concepts without any tools. At the strategic level, you can actually put those into practice with a variety of tools. And then at the tactical level, you know, yeah, sure. Here's a product if you're so inclined to buy one, right? So it's, it's interesting when you shift your mindset to, to realize that it's not all about well, but if they're not on my website, how do I track them? Well, you don't, you don't track them until they raise their hand and say, Hey, I'm interested in talking to you. Like, I don't need to chase you down. And again, on the playground, you see the kids running around and trying to play chase versus the kids playing together in the sandbox. The kids playing together in the sandbox both chose to be there. And it's Mm -hmm. going to go a lot better than the one kid trying to tackle the other person. Like how many of us go around trying to tackle customers or prospects or whatever we want to call them? Like, it's super awkward. Why do we do that? Let's <laughs> let's all agree to be in the sandbox together, and build a sandcastle instead of running. You know, one person's desperately trying to get away while the other person tries to tackle them.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. The metaphor keeps it keeps getting better and better yeah, as you kind works. of start thinking like, it through. It works. <laughs> My question is: How are, are there any specific questions you need to ask? Say, say you're able to kind of reset and don't have a whole lot of content, and you're, and you're able to kind of approach it with a totally fresh mind. What are some of the questions that, that that you need to start asking yourself at the very beginning to make sure that you're building the right kind of playground or that you're even attracting the right kind of people to your playground?
0: Yeah. So, I think the first thing is is definitely understanding that audience, right? Like somehow the product or service was created to solve some sort of problem. So, I would say understanding that problem very deeply not just kind of the symptoms that we tend to translate into our features and benefits. Like when you match up features and benefits with products, um, or services, you're mostly addressing the symptoms of the problem. But if you actually look at like, no, what was the thing that made you recognize it was a problem in the first place? You have to understand that very deeply. Then you also have to understand, okay, how did you come to recognize that that was a problem? Like what happened in your life to get you there? Great. Who else is that happening for? And where are those people hanging out? Are they hanging out on Reddit? Are they hanging out on Pinterest? Are they hanging out? I know I've I've talked with a couple of people recently who do like elder care, or senior care, and especially with a lot of things related to voting and vaccine information. Like this ability to do online scheduling for vaccines has been really hard in some communities. They don't have fast enough internet to hit refresh to, to get a spot, right? Or they don't know... Oh I have to go through this and I have to answer these questions. So the mindset that like well scheduling is hard we just need to automate it. Okay but what about the person who doesn't even have a computer or an iPad right? So thinking through again holistically where are those people hanging out? What challenges do they have from like an accessibility standpoint, from a knowledge gap standpoint, what things do they have to know? Like you have to believe the vaccine works. You have to believe that you can in fact go and get a vaccine. If those fundamental beliefs aren't there, the scheduling is not the problem. Like You have a a fundamental problem that's underlying the scheduling problem. So that would be the second thing. I think also understanding the competitors in the space. And again, not just like, oh, I sell this type of SaaS product. Who are my direct SaaS competitors? Well, sticky notes are a perfectly valid competitor in some cases. Spreadsheets, how many companies are still using spreadsheets? And so when we go to them and we say, oh, we're going to sell you Confluence or Trello or JIRA. And they're like, no, my spreadsheet is just fine. That's a belief that first I have to get them over the hump to believe that there's a problem with the spreadsheet before Mm -hmm. I can even get them to start thinking about, is my solution better or does somebody else have a better solution? And then finally, I think starting from kind of a governance standpoint and putting in place a lot of, and and I've seen this a lot, especially working with a lot of um, engineers and devs, everybody wants to tell the whole story to every audience on every channel at all times. And it's like, man, nobody has time to read your 20-page thesis. But if you break it up across channels and across different depths and across different asset types, then you can go in and cross-link all of that. So when you think about it and you start getting into the tactical side of, is it email? Is it a Twitter post? Is it a LinkedIn post? Um, Is it a a video? Okay, is it a long-form video or short-form video? Is it a podcast? Is it live? Is it recorded, right? Right. All of those are just tactical things that you need to be thinking about in terms of what your audience likes to consume, where they like to consume it. That's going to influence the asset types, but that's also going to influence the depths. And so you need to be thinking about, yes, let's think about how to address this story holistically, but then how can I strategically parse it out and cross-link it so that people can go up and down as they please instead of having to, in a linear way, go through and learn, oh man, this is like you know, a 20,000 word blog post. Right. I still haven't gotten to the tactics. Like I just had one question.
1: Yeah. And then at the bottom, it says, you should read this one next because this is part two. Right.
0: Right. Exactly. Exactly.
1: So maybe, maybe I might be oversimplifying it, but what you're saying is you can have So let's say you've got three kind of like high level conceptual ideas that you're trying to understand, uh, trying to explain for maybe it's like remote work and payroll and like accounting or something like those, those, you're, you're a software solution that does accounting and payroll and you work best with remote companies. So you're kind of, those are high level conceptual things you can talk about. And then you've got strategic, like how to, or why, why you need to think of this way, And then tactical, here's how to do the activity or like figure something out. And so what you're saying is you can then do... So you've kind of got like three times three times three times however many number of topics there are, like keywords you want to go after or like relevant ideas you want to tackle. Then multiply that again by the number of channels you want you want to be on, whether it's blogging, then marketing and email and then social media. So in theory, you could make let's just say it's like fifty, you've got 15 topics you want to cover across those three depths. Yep. You could do that across every medium. You can cover the same topic across each medium. So in theory, that that 15 can become like 45 or 70 really quickly. And that's yeah. just three topics.
0: Right. But that's how many pieces of content
1: can come from very being very strategic and making sure you handle it from every angle.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then once you start cross-linking all of those topics with each other, you now have additional pieces of content. Like you could run it as a series. So you Mm -hmm. could, if you say, you know, like let's say, especially the kind of more straightforward tips content, like listicles tend to do really well on social media, but you could package that up to say run a blog series that's five you know five new tax laws or five changes to the tax code that you need to know in Q1 well you can do that for Q2 Q3 and Q4 and then right. at the end of the day you could do a look back of the 20 top tax changes that happened in the previous year right and so all of that becomes like you can combine it too to where yeah it's it's these are three topics but when you multiply it by all the different depths and angles and keywords and outlets and then you start saying, oh, we could combine them or break them up for different lengths as well. Right. So that's how you get off the treadmill of man, six pieces of content, like map to the three phases of the funnel. How will we ever fill our content calendar? You, you missed the point, right? <laughs> right,
1: right, right. That's, that's super helpful for, for those who find it tricky to come up with new ideas. Like, don't worry about that. Just kind of map it to The playground and the ideas will just kind of keep coming as, as you, as your customer figures out how to play around. Yeah. How about like measuring that? How, how does that all of a sudden change the methodology behind like understanding whether someone is qualified? I mean, everyone, everyone who's listening to this has different sales processes, but hopefully like maybe, maybe in 80% of cases, marketing comes before sales and, 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 They've been educated somehow. How do you think about now measuring the effectiveness of your content playground?
0: Yeah. So there's a couple of things there. The first is that you don't need to measure, like, all metrics do not need to be optimized for all channels and all pieces of content at all times. Like, it's going to be really hard to optimize for reach. And engagement and CTR on the same post. So, if you think about like LinkedIn, for example, that algorithm really values comments, comments and likes, basically engaging with the post as kind of an input to increasing reach. It doesn't value, and most of the platforms, they want you to stay on the platform. So, if you're trying to tell people, go click this link to go over here and read this content the platforms are not going to prioritize that versus you ask a question or you say something controversial or you have a hot take and people are commenting. The algorithm really likes that. And so the more people comment and the sooner they do it, the reach goes up. But what you'll see in your CTR metrics is your CTR is really poor. The flip side of that is if you're trying to get somebody to come to an event and you want them to register or you're getting you know, a webinar or something like that, you need to have them... like The only thing they can do is click over because otherwise they'll just like people are lazy too they don't want to have to click and so the if the only if they can do anything besides click they're going to do that thing because yeah. it's a lighter lift and so you have to be very clear if you're optimizing for CTR like that's the only thing they can do. And so when you really think about your CTAs for these things and the actions that you want the person to take, how those play off of each other and on different platforms, YouTube, same thing. The the big thing is like average watch time, or number of videos watched. So it's a stickiness metric. And so you want people to click the watch next video, watch next video. So that means you need to be really intentional about the thumbnails that you choose and what you tell YouTube the next video should be so that if you're doing a three-part series, and they finish part one, part two needs to come next, not whatever other random thing you have. And where's part two? It's like now I have to go hunt for it. That's too much work. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing: is really thinking about like what metrics are appropriate for each channel, and what are you trying to do, optimize for each post. The second thing is uh, second thing is to think holistically about your metrics. So thinking about subscriber growth or follower growth, thinking about in-feed engagement. The the difference when you think about this playground mentality is you're thinking about that relationship and that trust and that long-term affinity for the brand, not the transaction. And so again, if we even put it in the metaphor, like the parks and rec department are not sitting there like counting up how many children came and played. They want to go out there and they want to see, are people having fun? And yes, that's a fuzzier metric. They can certainly calculate the throughput of how many people come to the park and how long they stay. But if everybody just comes to the park, I mean, again, thinking about this, like adding shade structures to the park, right? The park is still there, but if it's too hot to touch, even if there's a bunch of people that come to the park, they're all going to leave because the equipment's too hot. So you put a shade structure. And so as we think about this from a metrics and holistic standpoint, like how do you measure the lifetime value of that customer? How do you think about reducing churn? How do you think about upsells? How do you think about cross-sells? Not just that one transaction on a landing page. Which brings me to the third thing of you know, gated content, MQLs, SQLs. Why not instead of trying to infer if somebody is qualified or ready to buy, you just let them learn for free and they'll raise their hand when they're ready to buy. And I've had this experience, like explicit buying CTAs that say, come over here, create a free account, start a free trial, contact a sales rep. All of those are a much higher buy intent than fill out 20 form fields for this white paper. Like, I just started on a new team. I'm trying to learn about the space. So I'm going around to all the competitors and downloading all their stuff. I am not in any way a prospect. In fact, I am a competitor and I'm just screwing up your leads. Like you just got <laughs> junk leads, right? You know, a couple of years ago, interviewing for jobs and I'm like downloading everything. And I felt so bad. I'm like, the poor marketers are like, we got a live one. No, she's just a job candidate. Like she's just- She's downloaded four word. things in 20 minutes. Right? <laughs> And so instead, if you had had said, you know, book, contact a sales rep, obviously, I'm not going to do that as a job candidate or a competitor. I'm really only going to do that if I'm a prospect or a buying person. And so I actually really like what Chris Walker, he's over at Refine Labs, and he's like ranting about this and saying, quit assuming demand. Wait until somebody raises their hand. Like, if you want to close 100% of your leads then actually have leads which are the people who raise their hand for a buying action. So over the years I've gotten more vocal about you should just ungate everything and only gate buying actions like a free trial or create an account or request, you know, a contact from sales or something like that. Like don't gate anything else and make your CTAs very explicit because you're not tricking anybody into buying anything. Like haha, I'll get you to the end of the blog post and then I'm going to trick you with no I am in no way tricking you. Like it's better for me to educate you about problems, solutions, and implementation. And then when you're ready, you come to me. I don't have to chase you and tackle you. I've made a lovely sandbox with a lovely castle. And when you're ready to plant your flag, I'll be here. I have a, I have a nice sturdy turret for you, you know? <laughs> and so that, that measurement side of it, there's the engagement piece and the, the sentiment piece and the relationship building piece, measure those things. And then when you're ready to measure qualified leads, measure revenue or measure conversion or measure signups, things that are actually associated with revenue because Mm -hmm. a retweet is not associated with revenue. That's Mm -hmm. associated with an engagement or a relationship building action.
1: What what would you say to then a marketer whose maybe role isn't revenue tied directly and their job is to increase the audience so their job is to capture emails or grow or grow a following it becomes kind of tricky then where the person's like yeah sure i want to ungate everything but i my metric is number of emails grown how do you is there a way to think about that differently or does are those just not aligned um, objectives
0: so i would say there's there's two things in there the first is why do you want to grow your email list in most cases it's because they want to use it as a nurture campaign and mm-hmm. so i do think that it's worth asking for email addresses from for subscriber for newsletters so and and we do this off of our learn intent content so for example we talk we have a whole microsite that talks about agile methodology and how to implement it and different tools you can use different ways you know different potential pitfalls, those kinds of things. And so we have a newsletter that is specifically targeted at those learn intent topics. And so we say, Hey, you'd like more topics like this, sign up, we'll send you a monthly newsletter. In that case, they know what they're getting. Yes. I love to see those lists grow, but that's not, I, those are not leads for me. That is a list that is an audience that is interested in this learn intent content. So I would say that's the first thing is separating what you call a lead from a list or an audience. There's a lot of metrics that are specifically tied to audience growth. So again, the follower growth, like you're talking about on social, great. That's all ungated content. That's all follower stuff. An email subscriber list is not a list of leads. That's an email subscriber list, which is very different. And then, you know, from pure, like very kind of traditional top of funnel organic entrances or number of page views or impressions. But again, those are not leads. Those are an audience, but they're not leads. And so at the point where they, if if you're separating those audience growth and engagement from revenue metrics, like I actually think that's great. And I don't think those things are at odds. They become at odds when you say, well, but I need to grow my email list. Why? Do you think those people are leads or do you think those people are an audience? I think Robert Rose actually at CMI wrote a post in one of his newsletters like a couple of years ago. And then he's got two, I think, in-depth articles about this, about an audience versus a lead and kind of like, do you need both? Are they the same thing? How do you treat them? And I, his, his stance is that they are different. And I totally agree with that. Like A lead is someone who has raised their hand and say, I'm interested in buying. Come sell me. Mm. An audience is someone who wants to consume content and build a relationship.
1: And so back to your point about what is the, the action you want someone to take, your audience email list, it would be a perfect group of people to email saying, sign up for this thing, sign up for the session we're going to be hosting for free. And the only button they can click is sign up and then they'll show up again. And then maybe at the end of it, then your call to action is come, come uh, chat with a salesperson if this is a problem, but maybe some people just like sitting on webinars.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's funny too, because so many webinars, I, again, you're not tricking anybody. If somebody wants to come and understand what your product does and how it solves their use case. Great. Tell them that say, this is a pro this is a very in-depth product use case about whatever the use case is. There are people who are very interested in knowing about that, You know, as opposed to shorter demo content or reading through a tutorial. But don't pretend that like, we're going to talk about these five trends in content, but the only way you can get access is to buy the research. Like that's, I mean, again, it would be the same thing. I have obviously mentioned Atlassian a number of times. I've mentioned our products a number of times. You get a ton of value out of this. Well, hopefully you get a lot of value out of this conversation whether you go to our website, whether you buy our products, whether you look at the free content that I'm touting that we produce, like the conversation has value on its own. And so Mm -hmm. because I work in this context and I apply these ideas in the work that I do, it makes perfect sense for me to talk about them. But nobody is coming to this podcast feeling like they're being sold on... Atlassian or any of the other things that I mentioned, you know, mm-hmm. the only thing they're being sold is an idea that they can go and implement themselves.
1: Mm-hmm. I like the idea of like trying to sell and not trying to, but if you want, if you're open to it, selling an idea because then once that person's bought into the idea, they then become like your perfect customer because they right. they they're already bought in, and if they just keep reading your stuff, they're like, okay, yeah, of course, I'm going to buy this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's kind of like well, the first I mean,
0: step. Yeah. And you look at what HubSpot has done. I mean, they fundamentally changed how marketing works. And it, it's been interesting to see their own kind of shift as, as sentiment has moved away from gated content. And they recognize like the flywheel model and they're they're trying to reinvent how we do marketing as well. And mm-hmm. so you can get a ton of value. They've got templates. They've got marketing thought leadership. Obviously, they've got the inbound conference. You can go consume all of that without actually having to buy their you know CRM or marketing automation platforms. But if you're ready to buy a marketing automation platform, I mean, HubSpot is like the clear choice. It's I obviously don't work for any of those three companies, and we can talk about funnels and measurement and methodologies referencing them without actually having to go buy their products because mm-hmm. they've mm-hmm. all done such a great job of content marketing and educating you about the space where they happen to play from a tool standpoint.
1: Yeah. That's a very cool way of thinking about it. Last idea I want to cover here with you, Ashley, is around this idea that some marketers feel like they're very adversarial towards their audience. And we kind of we kind of touched on that earlier saying like with, with the idea of Sonder, Sonder is a good thing. That means you recognize that other people are complex and they have ambitions and struggles and you might be able to help them or maybe they'd be able to help you. But then there's the opposite mindset that a lot of marketers have where it's, I know better. What the hell are they doing? I need their email. Like I'm, I'm spending so much time and effort to put this content together. I better get something out of it. Why do you think that mindset exists?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's driven by this old school funnel mindset that, that says that I have to chase you, that like, my job as a marketer is to force you to move from awareness to consideration to decision. And you look at the language that people use, right? Like, yeah, we need to lock this person down. I don't want to lock anyone down. That's terrifying. Or like, yeah. we think about like, we need to capture the information. Why? Why? why are we capturing things? And then one of my favorites is when people are like, yeah, we got a bunch of tire kickers and looky loos. They're wasting our time. They're clogging up our pipeline. I'm like, and again, I say, what if you let them educate and tire kick and looky for free instead of forcing them? If the only way they can learn about what you do is to talk to a human and waste and use air quotes on that, the human's time that's on you. That's not their fault. You're the one that made it hard to figure out what the heck you actually do. And so this mindset that like this audience member is wasting my time, that to me says you haven't built a good enough playground that allows you to put your time and effort and the hard human parts, put all of that into the right place. And so we've gotten gotten to the point where it's this weird dichotomy of like, everything is automated and you can never speak to a human or nothing is automated and you can only speak to a human. (laughs) And both of those are wrong. Like if you've been on a chat bot, you know, where it's like, I can't help you right now. Okay. Then how do I get helped? Like, I don't, I Mm -hmm. just need someone to help me do this thing. You've made it difficult. Apparently now I need to speak to a human, you know, or the flip side of that. And so I would say quit thinking of your audience as, an annoyance or like a barrier to revenue or a barrier to growth or a barrier to you hitting your promotion goals. Like what if you didn't think of them that way? What if you thought of them as the whole reason you exist or you know, people that you want to delight instead of thinking them thinking of them as these barriers. And I I think too if you think about that from like a sales perspective, and particularly for like large enterprise sales where you have to get legal sign-off, you have to get procurement, you've got to get accounting, potentially the CFO, you've got to get the technical leaders, the security. If your mindset toward all of those stakeholders is that they're a barrier to the sale or they're a nuisance in the sales process instead of, hey, this is a partner and this is a stakeholder that is helping my you know, user or champion or buyer, whatever you want to call them. We actually, there's a, a rep that I've worked with for a tool that we use that has done it. He's an excellent salesperson. Every time I, I deal with him, I'm like, that guy is good. And it's because he works with a number of different teams. And so he comes to me and he says, hey, Ashley, I actually spoke to this other team and they're solving this problem. Do you need that too? Well, in fact, I do. Like, thank you so much, right? And so I don't feel like, yes, he has just extracted more money from my budget by telling me that, hey, this other team has this. Do you want it? Yes, yes, I do. Well, now he's got two teams that have it or three teams that have it. And so now he's figured out, you know, I've got enough teams. I bet you I could go talk to procurement and get a licensing agreement for a couple of years or for for longer that goes across the whole organization. So that's what he's done. He got an intro to our procurement person, and now he's having a conversation about an enterprise-wide licensing system. We're all happy about that because now we don't have to go in on the back end and deal with accounting and which team gets charged this or that amount of money. Procurement is happy because they don't want to deal with all of those individual transactions. And so he's, for him, it's great because it locks him in as the vendor that we use for this particular service. And he's the one that's in the system now. Mm-hmm. But for us, it solves a problem on the back end, and procurement is no longer a barrier. Procurement is now a champion and solves my problem, solves procurement's problem, and fun fact, he gets more money. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, like- yeah,
1: exactly. It worked. It, <laughs> he, it might have taken a little bit longer, but at the end, the 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 commission he gets from that is much higher because now all of a sudden, it's like the deal size is way bigger than if he just has one team working on it
0: exactly and i trust him right i'm super transparent with him about our budget about our needs about what's what i'm hearing from other teams that may impact him because i trust him to not you know misuse that information i refer other teams to him i'm like hey he'll take care of you because i trust him and i know he's not going to screw me over in that relationship and so again if he thought of me as a barrier of like why isn't she introducing me to people or like if he had hounded me like when i first you know when the relationship was first passed off to me he didn't hound me for introductions to everybody else mm-hmm. like he's never never done that right and so now i'm much more willing to make the introductions because i know he's not going to hound me and do something that that breaks that trust yeah. and so he could think of me as a barrier to all the other teams or he could think of me as an ally that if he builds that trust i'll introduce him if he doesn't you know if they do a good job and they deliver other people will see that work and be like, hey, who are you using for that? And now I'm happy to introduce them, right? So again, Love this that. mindset You's- of like gating and I have to, they owe me an email address. They don't owe you anything. I, you yeah.
1: Know? Just think of them as an ally. I think that's a perfect kind of cap to it is just if you treat them as an ally, meaning share information freely, be open to, to chatting if they need it or... Laying back if they don't need it, but thinking long term, I think that makes a lot that makes a lot of sense. And it plays perfectly with the playground and a metaphor that just so perfectly allows people to jump in and out, figure it out, and do their own thing, but be there when when they need you,
0: yeah, exactly.
1: Awesome. Well, this has been so great, Ashley. Thank you so much for sharing. This has been super helpful. And Ashley does a great job explaining some of these ideas in more detail uh, on LinkedIn. So make sure to go find Ashley on LinkedIn and uh, say that you found out about her through this show. Thank you so much, Ashley.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Stuart. It was great chatting.
1: If you enjoyed anything that you just heard, you're going to absolutely love what I'm about to tell you. If you go online to stewarthillhouse.com and hit the subscribe button, you'll be added to an email list where I share exclusive content related to this show. This is where I'm going to share my key takeaways from each episode, including my highlights, top of mind takeaways, and next steps that you can do to put this advice to action. I also share some real-life breakdowns of marketing campaigns that I'm seeing around and how I'm using it in my work. So head on over to stuarthillhouse.com and hit the subscribe button to get your first email. Looking forward to seeing you there.